Welcome to the Diabetes and Endocrinology Podcast, where endocrinologist Dr. Julian Wong, who is based in Whittington Health Hospital, London, discusses cases and topics on diabetes and endocrinology. In this episode, we have our first case study, a 30-year-old lady who presented with fatigue, weight loss, polydipsia, and polyuria. We will first hear from students presenting the case. This is then followed by discussion about differential diagnosis, investigations, and management. So I saw a lady in her 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, he was presenting with a five-week history of feeling generally unwell um, with fatigue and muscle weakness mm-hmm. and weight loss of around one stone. Mm-hmm. Um, when I asked her a bit more, she told me she'd been going to the toilet more frequently, more frequently and had been drinking more frequently as well than she is used to. Um, I asked her about nocturia. Um, she said she hadn't really been getting up in the night any more than usual, but she usually got up one to two times to go to the bathroom at night. And um, yeah, she was just feeling generally unwell. In the last couple of days, this had worsened, and she developed severe headaches, um, sort of intermittently. So in terms of history of presenting the plate, there was the five-week kind of deterioration with uh, loss of appetite, weight loss, etc. Um, she's never experienced these headaches that she was talking about before. Um, so they're a new development. And her past medical history, she is hypothyroid, which was diagnosed in uh, a couple of years ago during her first pregnancy. And she's on levothyroxine for this. She's got no other past medical history and she's on no other regular medications and no known drug allergies. In terms of family history, her uncle's a diabetic, type 1, and her mum and gran are hypothyroid. And social history, um, she's got a five-pack year smoking history and she drinks about 12 units a week. And she can manage exercise but doesn't do much. Um, but she keeps active looking after her children. Uh, she's been furloughed during lockdown. Um, she usually works in admin. She lives in a house with her partner and her two children. Um, yeah, system, you didn't bring up anything that I haven't already covered. Um, so in summary, um, this is a 30-year-old female presenting with polydipsia, polyuria, weight loss, feeling generally fatigued and weak um, and the, and recent severe headaches um, and dizziness. So um, my, if, I, if someone were to ask me, my working diagnosis would probably be uh, type, one, type 1 diabetes because of her background of autoimmune um, sort of hypothyroidism and her family history. Good, excellent. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was a good presentation. Um, for extra points, you could have uh, then said, I would do these investigations to confirm or refute my diagnosis. So uh, if type 1 diabetes is your top differential diagnosis, what would you do? Um, so blood sugar and ketones. Okay. Initially. Good. Perfect. So we've got fatigue, weight loss, and uh, we've got uh, polyuria and polydipsia. So, um, so Fiona was saying that type one diabetes is high up on her differential diagnosis. Um, and 
So what is it that makes us think this is diabetes rather than anything else? What are the positive pointers um, uh, or the positive evidence that would rank that as your top differential diagnosis? Um, well, the like, polydipsia, polyuria, all of that is very uncharacteristic, isn't it? Okay, so, um, so we need to consider other differential diagnosis for polyuria and polydipsia. So what, what is another cause of polyuria and polydipsia? Diabetes insipidus. Good. So, um, and, uh, and why is diabetes insipidus lower down on our differential than type 1 diabetes, given that they both cause polyuria and polydipsia? It's far less common. It is less common, correct? Uh, she also has a history of, is it hypothyroid? Hy having hypothyroidism. Okay, so what does that mean? Um, she's more likely to be susceptible to other, to an autoimmune disease. Super, great. So that, 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 yes, that makes perfect sense. So she's got risk factors for type 1 diabetes, but she doesn't have clear risk factors that would predispose to diabetes insipidus. Anything else from the history? Weight loss. Correct, Recent yeah. Loss. So, so you, with diabetes insipidus, you don't typically lose weight. Um, unless there's something else going on. Um, uh, so that, that is a strong pointer that uh, diabetes insipidus would be lower down. So let's talk about diabetes insipidus. What are the, what are the causes of diabetes insipidus? So I think you can like split it into like primary and secondary, whether basically if you're producing the hormone or whether the hormone is responding to the receptor. Correct. As ADH. So, so, so the concept is absolutely right. That the terminology is slightly uh, wrong. So, so uh, for most things, it's primary and secondary. For diabetes insipidus, either cranial diabetes insipidus or nephrogenic diabetes insipidus. Which so crani cranial would also be called central. Okay. So, are you making the hormone, or is the hormone just not working? Good. Okay. So that's your your categories. Um, so, can you give me some examples of what might cause a cranial diabetes insipidus. Uh, a really unfortunate trauma. Correct. So, uh, uh, so traumatic brain injury, uh, and uh, usually there would uh, be um, disconnection of the um, of the pituitary stalk. So that might be a cause of a cranial diabetes insipidus. Pituitary tumor, possibly. Excellent, good. So pituitary tumors of all kinds uh, which damage the posterior pituitary could be causes of cranial diabetes insipidus. So there's lots of different ones, uh, but broadly uh, tumors, trauma, and then infiltration by things can also cause that. What kind of things can infiltrate the pituitary? Leukocytes. Uh, Yes, so um, you can get an inflammatory response, which involves leukocytes. So if you've got inflammation of the pituitary, what's that called? Um, hypophysitis. Perfect, good. So hypophysitis might be a cause, and there are lots of different causes of hypophysitis. Um, and then it can also, you can also get infiltration with things like iron, although that's rarely a cause of 
diabetes insipidus or um, things like um, granulomatous conditions like sarcoidosis um, uh, or um, uh, rarer stuff like Langerhans uh, histiocytosis. So, so these are rarer stuff, but, but the general categories to remember are tumor, trauma, infiltration by other things. So there's a few different big categories. Now, what about, what about nephrogenic diabetes insipidus? What can cause that? Just a genetic good predisposition. Super. So, so you can have you can have genetic mutations that affect your um, aquaporin receptors and how uh, and whether ADH works. So, yeah. So, for genetic conditions, what are the pointers for this person that would tell you it's likely or not likely to be a genetic condition? Family history. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't have a family history of of, uh, of diabetes insipidus. And what else? When do genetic conditions typically occur? Early or late? Early. Early, yeah. She's a bit old, right? So, um, so it's less likely that this is a congenital genetic mutation. Any other causes of nephrogenic diabetes insipidus? Why... Does high blood sugar cause polyuria and polydipsia? The um, osmotic diuretic effect of the sugar. Good, good. Okay. So, um, so other osmotically active substances could also cause the same problem. Or if you've got derangement in um, some uh, electrolytes that uh, are important in your urine concentrating ability... Uh, that can also uh, account for it. So, so the common ones are hypokalemia. So if you've got hypokalemia, you can get a, diet, a nephrogenic diabetes insipidus. And if you get hypercalcemia, you can also get a nephrogenic diabetes insipidus. Okay, so those are important things to consider when somebody has got polyurine polydipsia. Is it because they just can't concentrate the urine because they've got one of these conditions? So let's say hypothetically she had hypercalcemia, then that might explain weight loss and polyuropolydipsia. Can you think of a, a situation where you'd have hypercalcemia and weight loss and polyuropolydipsia? Cancer? Cancer, yeah. So they might have cancer. Uh, and then they've got hypercalcemia related to cancer. So, uh, so that's not common in a 30 year old, but not impossible. So, so that would be a reasonable differential diagnosis to put in as well, uh, is that there's something more sinister going on. Any other big things that can cause weight loss in somebody with this family history? Like Presumably you were going down the lines of, uh, Hamza, you're going down the lines of if her thyroid levels were too high, she might be losing weight. Is that right? Yeah, that was... Yeah. Fine. Well, she might be on too high a dose oh, of levothyroxine. So she might have, you know, iatrogenic hyperthyroid or thyrotoxicosis. So that's a very reasonable thought. Um, and that would be a very reasonable investigation to request to work out, actually, is that contributing? Any other cause of somebody with a strong family history of hypothyroidism, personal history of hypothyroidism, who's losing weight. Any other 
conditions that might be going on? Depression. Uh, yes, depression can cause that. So that might come out in your in your system screen. Let's say she had some GI symptoms. Are there other? Are there, is there another autoimmune condition that's more common in hypothyroidism, which would make you lose weight? Um, is it UC? Uh, it is slightly more common, but something that's much more common than UC in hypothyroidism. So in kids, you'd see it as a failure to thrive often. Oh, celiac, disease. celiac disease yeah so that would be another cause of weight loss you know with this type of personal and family history that you might wish to consider they sometimes have gi symptoms um but not always so that might be on your radar to screen for as well good so so in terms of like nailing our diagnosis for type 1 diabetes what how, how would we confirm type 1 diabetes uh look at that blood sugar Okay, so what does it need to be higher than? 11.1. Good, excellent. So 11.1 in the presence of symptoms, which she has. So that would nail your diagnosis. Uh, or what other tool can you use apart from glucose? HbA1c. Okay, so uh, would it be appropriate to use HbA1c for this person? Not without blood glucose because... It's like a measure of the last three months. Yeah, so, so the change that you're describing is quite acute. So it might actually be normal uh, despite her having a new onset type 1 diabetes. So you can't rely on it alone to make that diagnosis. Although in practice, it does change fairly quickly in somebody who's very hypoglycemic. So probably it'll be abnormal anyway. Uh, I don't think I've ever, I can't remember ever seeing somebody with type 1 diabetes who had a normal HbA1c, uh, but uh, but was severely hypoglycemic. Um, but in theory, you can't use you can't rely on it if it's normal. Good. Why are ketones important in this case? Let's assume she does have type one diabetes. Um, you don't want to go into um, ketoacidosis. Yeah. Yeah. So, so ketoacidosis is kind of the extreme spectrum of what can go wrong. So knowing whether there are ketones and how many ketones there are tells you how insulin deficient this person is. So you've, you've made the diagnosis, she's got new onset type 1 diabetes, how are you going to treat her? Um, insulin. Good. Broadly, what kind of insulin might you recommend? You could have a mixed long and short acting insulin. Okay, so for most people, especially younger patients, the, the, they would start on a basal bolus insulin. Have you heard of basal bolus? Yeah. Yeah, so, um, so that's a long acting insulin plus a short acting one or rapid acting one with meals. A quick recap for today's case. This is a 30-year-old lady who presented with fatigue, weight loss, polydipsia and polyuria with a family and personal history of hypothyroidism. Some of the main differentials we talk about include type 1 diabetes mellitus, diabetes insipidus, celiac disease and cancer. We also discuss diabetes insipidus in detail. Here are a few learning points. 1. Diabetes insipidus can be split into two types, cranial and nephrogenic. 2. Cranial diabetes insipidus can be caused by tumour, trauma and infiltration. 3. 
Nephrogenic diabetes insipidus can be caused by genetic mutation of aquaporins, hypokalemia, and hypocalcemia. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you learned something today, please consider to subscribe and share it with your friends. See you next time. Until then, stay curious.